Welcome to the Talks at Google podcast, where great minds meet. I'm Alan, bringing you this episode. Talks at Google brings the world's most influential thinkers, creators, makers, and doers all to one place. Every episode is taken from a video that can be seen at youtube.com slash talks at Google. The infamous future, which has received accolades and awards from film festivals in the U.S. and abroad, is a documentary that dives into the unique perspective of inspired educators and their remarkable students, as educator David C. Banks and his Eagle Academy Foundation strive to change an entrenched American mindset, insisting that young black and brown men are not going to be one of America's problems, but instead one of its greatest successes. This talk features writer and executive producer John Campbell and president and CEO of the Eagle Academy Foundation, David C. Banks, who discussed the film and the work the Academy is doing with boys of color in New York City. We're kicking off this episode with the audio from the trailer. To watch the trailer, please visit theinfamousfuture.com. And now, The Infamous Future. Good afternoon, everyone. Good afternoon, Eagle. I've got the greatest story that has never been told. When we started the Eagle Academy back in 2004, there was a report that 75% of the inmates from the entire New York State correctional system came from seven neighborhoods in New York City. And all those neighborhoods where the concentration of black boys are, some of the lowest performing schools are, those are the spots that we want to try to go into to create the Eagle Academy. A lot of people believe that you're from the South Bronx. You're not gonna make it. You're not gonna go to college. You're not gonna be what you wanna be. I'm proud of being able to see him graduate high school because I didn't do it. Our young men are up against it in every front. And it shouldn't have to be that way. So my organization decided we were gonna do something about that. People see our young men, and the first thing they do feel is fear. We get to lean into that discomfort as a school. We're going to take it on, and we're going to smile while we do it. We're going to grow our guys. You are stepping into a world that doesn't care for you. Black boys who are behind academically, they are the demographic that everybody is trying to avoid. That is the population that we have asked for. That's the reason we were created in the first place, because we see the promise and the potential in each and every one of them. Education, it is an ocean liner. We have to slowly turn that ocean liner around, and this is a starting point. You are going to face challenges each and every day. Repeat after me, young men of Eagle Academy, the champ is here. What you say? So um, let's let's dive in. Um, and you know, David, I actually want to I want to start first with you. Um, it's an extraordinary story, and it's clear why you started Eagle Academy. But what's less clear is how you did it. Um, so can you just share with us the backstory of that yeah. first academy, the obstacles, challenges, how you confronted those? Sure. Well, first of all, thank you, uh, Torrance, for, for having us and for your whole team who helped to put this together. Um, real privilege for us to be here. Um, so uh, this backstory is interesting, and I think I have to start out by saying this. I, I did not start the school alone. I'm often referred to as the founder um, <clears throat> in many ways, I have been the face of it 
it, since its inception, but I think it's important to note that um, the school was the, the byproduct of the imagination of the 100 Black Men organization. And I think that's important because there have been lots of initiatives that have been started by like one person. And it's kind of like this Superman theory of this one guy or gal that kind of comes and swoops in and says, I'm here to save the day. That's not really a very often a, a sustainable kind of a model. Um, but it was an organization of men. I was a member of the 100. Um, and so we as an organization came up with the uh, notion of having a, an all-boys public school. Um, and we worked really hard to kind of get it off the ground, right? Uh, be very clear, it wasn't 100 guys that put in the work to do this, right? And that's always, it's never that. It, it was a small handful, maybe six to eight guys who really put in, the, uh, put in the work to make it happen. But we had the idea to do it because we were, we were tired of looking at all the negative statistics. And um, there were so many panel discussions and conferences that were being held all over the country talking about the problem um, with the outcomes for young men of color in particular. And, but it seemed like at the end of the day, no, there were no solutions. It was just, let's continue to just talk about what all of the problems are. Um, and you'd see people battling on the, on the panel discussion to see who could tell the story best about what the problem is. Um, but at the end of the day, it seemed like the most you could hope for was a good after-school program for 15 or 20 kids. Like, that was as good as it got. And so we decided that we were going to try to go a little deeper in the creation of the school. Very important to note that there were no all-boys public high schools in the country when we opened our doors. There were, there were private schools and parochial schools, but just a regular New York City public school, it didn't exist. There hadn't been one in New York City in over 30 years. And so we needed political cover to be able to do it because there actually had been a decade before us some other folks out of Brooklyn who had tried to start one, but they were not successful. And so you needed, you needed the politics to line up to be able to do that. And so the very first person that we met with was our then Senator Hillary Clinton. Mm. She got behind it uh, completely and said, I want to see this be replicated all over the country once we get it up and running. Um, so she was, she was our first political champion, if you will. Mm -hmm. uh, she arranged for us to meet with Mayor Bloomberg, who was a brand new mayor at the time, and Joel Klein, who was the chancellor of the New York City school system. But I think because she gave it her blessing, um, the mayor and the chancellor got behind it and said, even if we're sued, we're going to move forward with this. And it was potential to be sued because by definition, and I talk a little bit about it in the film, that means an all boys single gender public school means that your daughter can't go to the school and yet your tax dollars pay the teachers in that school. There are some people who believe that on its face, it's, it's unconstitutional to have an, a single gender school. Now you should also know that they had already been for several years single gender schools for girls. They called the Young Women's Leadership Academies. And there were three of them by the time we opened our very first one. And so if anything, we came and we kind of balanced the playing field. Since that time, Hillary Clinton um, was able to help foster legislation that allowed for the proliferation of single gender schools. But if you, the legislation says if you have one for boys, you should have one for girls. It doesn't have to be started by the same organization, but the district itself 
should make sure that there's a balanced playing field. And that's what we've been trying to do. And public school versus the charter school system, how did you think about those trade-offs? Well, that's really interesting um, the char- because the charter schools um, ha- have, have become a really big deal, particularly since we launched. Um, we, we could have started as a charter school. We made a decision not to open as a charter uh, very deliberately. Uh, and that was because, not that we were anti-charter, um, we would have gotten a lot more funding if we were a charter school. Uh, a lot of the big hedge fund companies, they were only supporting charter schools. Uh, but we decided to do it because at the end of the day, our, our determination was that most kids are still going to go to traditional public schools. That's still the case today. 90% of all students across America go to traditional public schools. At the high school level, which is where we started, less than 2% of kids go to charter schools. You, 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 you really couldn't tell that just by reading the articles. You would think that charter schools have like half of the kids across the country. They do not. And one of the things that we were trying to say was that when all is said and done, most kids are going to still go to traditional public schools. If you don't lift up models within the traditional public school system, you're just playing around on the margins when you talk about innovation and really making a difference. So great charter schools. I know all of the, the big charter school leaders, but when all said and done, most kids are not in charter schools. And most teachers are unionized teachers within a traditional public school system. We wanted to be counted in that number to show that you could actually move the needle in that space um, in doing this work. And that's the reason why we decided to do that. We now have six schools. Um, I was the principal, founding principal of the, ver- of the very first school in the Bronx. We now have one in every borough in New York City, and we have one in Newark, New Jersey. So we have six schools, 3,000 young men, have graduated now over 1,500 young men and sent them to colleges and universities across the country. And we're just getting started. And what's also really powerful about the film is just the presence of black male teachers. How did you drive the recruitment process there? It's interesting. First of all, I think a lot of um, men of color in particular were very drawn to Eagle. It's the, the, the notion of a school for young men who look like them, who have similar experiences to them. We didn't even have to do a lot of marketing. Um, and the marketing we did was not targeted to men of color. It was just marketing about the uniqueness of a school for young men, where we're trying to uh, address the issues that young men and young men of color in particular have um, was a draw in and of itself. Um, but also, to be very clear, most of our teachers overwhelmingly are female. Yeah, no, no. We, we, we have a lot of men who are serving as mentors. Most of our teaching force are still women. Because across America, most of the teachers across America are, are women. Uh, less than 2% of, of men of color are teachers in America. Less than 2%. And that, that, there's a reason for that. Uh, there are lots of reasons for it. But one of, one of them is the very fact of why we created the school in the first place. <laughs> men, are not, men of color are not even graduated from high school. Well, over 50% don't even graduate from high school, much less graduate from college to put themselves in a position to even be a teacher in a classroom. So the, the, it's a very small pool of men of color in the first place. Um, and so we, um, our numbers are, are significantly higher than the average school. Um, but 
for me, our best teachers are still the, 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 the women who are in our class. If they leave, I'm leaving. <laughs> because they are the ones that really still drive it and, and, and make, it, make it go. What we have done, I think, is to help even the women in our schools understand what are the best ways to engage with young men because they do not get taught that in the schools of education that are supposedly preparing them for the reality of what it means to work in our public schools. Even if they're not coming to an Eagle Academy, they're just going to a traditional public school. They don't get one day of training of what it means when you've got those boys in your classroom. So what happens? They show up, the girls sit in the front row, the girls, girls are eager to learn, they're ready, they look like them. And even if they're not the same color, they're girls, there's a girl connection. Then you got the knucklehead boys that are playing around in the back. And the teachers have no clue what to do with that energy. It's not that there's anything wrong with the teachers, and there's, really no, and there's nothing wrong with the boys. It's just, do you understand? How many of you have brothers by a show of hands? Right? Y'all know there's a little difference between the boys and the girls, right? There's just an energy that the boys do, and there's a silliness that they bring. And if you don't understand what that is and how to manage that kind of energy, boys wind up on the short end of the stick because they're the ones that get suspended, they get thrown out of school, they get disciplined. All the negative stuff happens because the adults who are in the room have not been properly prepared on how to work with boys. That's what we do. Got it. So moving to John, um, given your, your stature, all of your career successes, you, you could have chosen any number of subjects to make a film about. What what drove you to tell this story? And also talk to us about the title mm. uh, because I think that there's there's more texture and color there as well. So first of all, when you said stature, I was like, who's he talking about, me? <laughs> <laughs> uh, thank you, Torrance. Um, it's uh, really a pleasure to be here. Uh, thank you to Ariane and uh, Lewis. Um, it's really um, a humbling opportunity. Um, so the first thing I would say that the... Let's start with the title. So The Infamous Future, I chose that title because of the stereotypes and the negatives that are constantly um, bombarded um, to us as um, people of the general public. When you see these images and the videos and um, the news, and, and it's always something that's negative. Um, I would say the majority of the time it's something negative. Whatever the side of the conversation is, so the conversation could be that we did something in a neighborhood or, um, or it could be um, something bad's happening in our community, but there's just a negativity that's associated with black and brown boys and black and brown people. Um, so I chose to say, um, here is something positive that's happening with what you say is negative. Um, let's look at um, creating the attention to make you think, hmm, what's this? But when you see it, I want you to understand that um, there are organizations like Eagle Academy. There are people in your neighborhood who are doing good things for people in your neighborhood. And we have to sometimes celebrate that and um, raise them up because it's important for us to tell these stories and don't wait for someone else to tell the story. Tell it yourself. And if it just means celebrating that person and saying thank you, buying them a card, if you're able to you know, um, do something greater, do something greater. I was um, given the opportunity to um, make a film 
that was really focusing on um, Eagle Academy, David Banks, and uh, really what these amazing educators are doing for black and brown boys. Um, and, you know, th th what really drove this story, uh, I can tell you, um, when I first, okay, so the very first time I met David Banks, um, it was a friend of ours um, that, her uh, name is Susan Chapman. Um, I think Lewis might know who she is. Um, so she said to me, um, oh, you should uh, meet David Banks. You said you're doing a uh, documentary, but my documentary was on education in America and the issues around education. So um, uh, I said, okay, I'll meet David. I said, it's high school, but you know. Okay, so I walk into his office and... I said, hi, uh, I'm John Campbell. And he said, I've got the greatest story that has never been told. <laughs> I was like, oh, my God. <laughs> That's a brilliant line. I said, I said, oh, I need to get that on film, right? And so uh, I then, you know, was intrigued with whatever else he had to share about the Academy. And he said, I'm going to take you around to all the schools. Let's, let's get you on the calendar. And oh, my goodness. I was so um, encouraged by his enthusiasm and what it means to him to help serve and support these young men of color. That when I went around to the schools, I, I had been filming for six months at NYU. I had been filming at University of Massachusetts. And I had six months of about four, five hundred hours of film. And I said to my director, I think... Um, I'm going to have to start over. No. <laughs> and he said, what? And I said, well, the reason why I need to start over is we need to tell a positive story. The issues are the issues. But let's be the ones to tell a story about what's actually working. And he said, I think you're right, John. He's from London as well. Richard Butterworth is his name. Uh, an amazing guy. Of course, he's from London with that type of <laughs> name. Um, you know, so, uh, so I then spent uh, the following year around um, Mr. Banks. And David actually didn't know that the film was primarily now around Eagle Academy because he thought he was just a part of the conversation of education. Um, and so I think it was the day that we did the first screening. There wasn't a dry eye in the place, you know. And uh, I think he was uh, just um, uh, encouraged um, by the fact that, you know, really, this was a story that was about Eagle Academy. And, and I was just humbled that he had given me this amount of time and the educators had, had really done the same. And uh, Joshua, who you saw was the main student, and his mother, who is incredible, um, you know, just telling their truth, telling the story. Thank you. So, David, the, the documentary actually kicks off with you uh, giving the, the group some real talk. And you talk about how they're entering into a world that doesn't care about them, that they're under assault. And then you invoke the, the famous Muhammad Ali chant of the champ is here. So it's clear that there's this whole dynamic of the real talk and the, the, the difficulties that these young men will face. But also the, the inspiration and, and trying to instill in them the things that will help them deal with it. How do you balance those sides of the picture? You know, the, the keeping it real, but also uh, making sure that they're inspired. Yeah. You know, and that, and that happens not just th through me any, anymore. I mean, it happens on a daily basis at each one of our schools. Um, <clears throat> and so we're just having conversation 
with our uh, young men every single day. And uh, so one of the things uh, I think is pretty unique about what we do is we do a daily town hall, which means every day the, the young men are required to be in school uh, for a period of time before their first period class starts. And during that town hall, there are a number of things that we do. Um, but we have real talk with them. So it's, it's, not a, it's not an English class. It's not a They're in the lunchroom. But the entire student body is there. And, and we talk about events of the day. So as things are happening in real time, you know, the passing of Toni Morrison, right? We'll have our own moment of silence for that. Um, not only do we have a moment of silence, but we also uh, pour libation. Um, and if I take you to any one of our schools, uh, we've got a plant in the middle of the room and young men get a chance to come up on a daily basis and pour libation in, you know, whatever's on their heart, right? So it's a way of them kind of letting go of that uh, a baggage that may be there. Some of them have a loved one who may be dying or, and, and they just want to let it out. They need to release. They do that. We, we talk about, you know, people who have passed, you know, that are known to all of us. Um, and it's a way, it's a ritual, but it's, it's, it's a very much a social, emotional kind of connection. It builds a spirit of brotherhood amongst the young men. Um, and they get to throw their, throw their arms around each other, say, we're here for you. Because every time they pour libation, the entire group says, ashe, 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 right? So kind of an African tradition um, that says, we're with you, mm. right? Um, and a lot of times that these young men don't have any place else in their lives where they actually get a chance to do that, right? And so things like that are just so important. So while we talk to them about the challenges that in fact are out there, we, we also build in immediately, um, you know, th but these are the possibilities for your life as well. You know, I do something that we call Rutgers and Rikers. Um, uh, you know, we take the students to Rikers Island so that they could see what it's really like on the inside of that prison. When you make the wrong choices or you associate with the wrong folk, um, these, this is how it can ultimately look. And we don't want you to hear about it in some romanticized version of guys who went and did 10 years in prison. They come out and act like they're tough guys. We want you to see what it's really like. So you get a chance to go in. But two weeks later, we take you to Rutgers, where I went to school. This is what it looks like on a college campus when you make other kinds of choices. So that's what we talk about when we say keeping it real. And with young men, it's really important that you tell them what they, in fact, are up against, what the odds are, but then we, we tell them simultaneously what the possibilities are for them as well. You talk about a place like Google. Unless young men had an opportunity to get an internship or a job shadow or something, they have no idea what that means to be here. So therefore, there's no drive in their classes to say one day I may be able to be working at tech industry at a place like Google. If they don't even understand that this exists other than a commercial that they see on TV, that's what we try and do. We try to build, we try to open up the doors of possibility and exposure because if you open up their minds to what is out there, it's hard to dream of being an investment banker if you've never met one. But when you, when you put them in a position to see it, then you, 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 the light goes on.
Now, everything that they're doing in their math and English and social studies classes tend to make a little bit more sense because they can see the goal of where we're trying to go. It's the reason why boys love sports so much. The goal is very clear. We're trying to earn that trophy. We're trying to win the championship. Even from Little League, it's very clear where we're what the goal is. So therefore, we'll work real hard in practice because we're clear about the goal. In school, the goal is not clear. So the only thing that they are engaged in is practice every day, and they don't know what this is all about. Where are we trying to go with all of this? Why are we doing this math in the seventh grade? I don't understand. It's like we're just doing it to do it. And if you don't explain to boys why we're doing this and where we're going, um, they will give you a hard time. Because, but once they make the connection to uh, what the goal is and what we're ultimately trying to achieve, then you get them running on their own toward their own success. That's really what the goal of education is supposed to be all about. Got it. And I, I also want to make sure we give the audience some uh, opportunity to ask questions. So I, I'll ask John a question and then open it up. Um, so, John, what's so amazing and brilliant about the, the documentary is the crispness and the focus. Mm-hmm. Um, there's nothing gratuitous. It's beautifully composed. Um, it could easily have been over two hours. I think it's around 40 minutes. So um, how did you think about the trade-offs there? What to include, what to edit? Give us your thought process. Pain and suffering comes to mind. (laughs) (laughs) It was a process because uh, I think we had over 600 hours of film just uh, on the infamous future, and it was really tough. Um, But, you know, um, as a writer, the main thing for me is making sure that I'm focusing on the intention and what's the story here. Um, and in trying to do that, um, the, the mother was key. Of course, David was key. Joshua was key. Um, um, Lakia Washington was key. There were certain key people who said very inspiring things. And, and believe me, the, the short clip that you see of uh, like Lakia Washington, um, I mean, she had everyone in tears for about an hour, you know, because she was so dynamic and inspiring about the truth about what these boys mean to her. You know, so imagine, you know, having a conversation with the director. Okay, we've got to cut it down. 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 We, we, we only need 30 seconds. And I'm like, how can I get some of these other inspiring pieces? But as long as you focus on the journey of the student, the journey of Eagle Academy, the journey of the mother, the journey of the educators and where they're coming from, you should end up with something that um, allows you to, in a good amount of time, um, just really portray um, the heart and the depth um, of the story. And and so I I really, as I was saying um, before, I'm just grateful that everyone was so available um, and that we were able to capture that. But it's very difficult to do that. And you go back and forth and you spend a lot of money and you go back and forth again and you spend more money because you want to get to the place where you feel, if I can kind of feel my teeth gritting a few times, then that's the heart for me. Um, and if I can feel that the numbers are in there, the, the, the details about the percentages of what's happening in the neighborhoods and things of that nature, if I can get all of those things, then that's the meat of the story. And so that was really, um, the intention behind it. Yeah. Any questions from the answer? Yeah, please go ahead. 
thank you both for coming. Um, so two questions for you. Uh, being someone born and raised in Baltimore and given the negative press of Baltimore as of late, would love to hear, I guess, both of your visions for what's next with the film, with the school, to build on the success that you've had and expanding that. And then two, second question, what can we do to help? So I would say, uh, great questions. Uh, first of all, um, um, this challenge, particularly, I mean, the education system in general, but particularly with boys of color, is like, it's not just a national problem, it's an international issue. I sat for a number of years on, a, on the board of a group called the, uh, the International Boys Schools Coalition. These are boys' schools all around the world from New Zealand to Australia to London. Uh, I mean, all over. And I've traveled all over the world kind of dealing with this issue. Wherever you see boys of color, they are struggling across the planet. It's really an amazing phenomenon. And for somebody like me growing up as an African-American male right here in New York City, to, to see the disconnect from school um, and then the kind of the wasting of human potential it's very tough to, to sit and to watch that. That's why I've committed my life to this space and trying to help as many of these young men as I possibly can. Um, we have been asked by school districts all across the country to open an Eagle Academy in their city. We have now decided that we're not going to open any more schools. What we're going to do and what we are now doing actually through an initiative that we call the Eagle Institute we are training schools and cities in how to do this for themselves. So they don't have to open up an Eagle Academy. They can open up whatever school they want. They can call it whatever they want to call it, but kind of um, powered by Eagle, if you will. So as an example, um, the city of Los Angeles reached out to us and we helped them to open the first all-boys public school in the history of L.A. It's called the Boys Academic Leadership Academy. So it's not an Eagle Academy, but they are completely connected. It's built on the Eagle model. And so in that way, we're, we have an opportunity to have greater impact. We're now going to do this across the country and helping to work with districts that reach out and are, would like this level of support, places like Baltimore, where there is, in fact, great need there, um, and how we can, in fact, be helpful, not just calling names, but how can we actually help to address some of the issues that are there? And, uh, and so that's some of the work that we're doing. We've been asked by districts all, all over the place. When, how many of you remember when Oprah Winfrey opened the all-girls school? Remember in South Africa? Remember that? The government of South Africa reached out to us years ago to ask us if we would help to open the brother's school to Oprah's all-girls school. Um, we were not in a position to do that at that time. We were like in our first or second year. We were just getting started, still figuring it out. Um, but I'm just saying that to say an example of like the interest from all, from everywhere I go, people ask. The, the government of Bermuda, John heard me tell us, the government of Bermuda reached out <laughs> yeah. because they asked, they said, we need help with our boys. Now, a small, idyllic island, Caribbean island like Bermuda, and they say, we are struggling with our boys. So for them, I had to tell them, at least I've got to go down there and kind of at least check the issue out. For a month. For at least a month, right? Just so they, we can give a proper diagnosis to what the issues really are. Um, but my point is that, is that 
Wherever you turn, the issues are there. And so we've decided we're going to teach a man how to fish as opposed to just a, a, a continued like one year at a time, a brick and mortar approach. We'll build another eagle here and then another one there. We want to teach. We want to help to develop schools and districts and cities capacities to do this for themselves. Because the reality is that the broader challenge is not just a single gender school. It's how do you help the existing schools where they are struggling, co-ed schools with the students that they have right in front of them. How do we help these young men? That's what we, we are training teachers now all across the country in best practices for how you properly engage the young men. And in that way, we think we're gonna be able to have significant scale of our work. Um, beyond that, in terms of what Google can do, right? Um, I, I, we would love to meet with people in Google to talk about real partnership, real investment in this work. Um, it's part of the reason why President Obama launched My Brother's Keeper, to say this is a population that is screaming out for help. Um, we are trying to meet that need. Right? We would love to start a Google pipeline. Right? How, do you get, how do you get employees from Google to be mentors? And, and not to come out every week or every month, but two or three times a year. Come out and meet with some of these young men. Develop an e-platform where the young men can, can communicate with you. How do you open up their eyes, right? That's, that's one, you know, uh, uh, that's just one activity that we could be engaged in, that if, if Google put the right supports around that, it's fairly easy to do. We're doing that with other groups as well. But I'll tell you something else that I think has, in a sustained way, even more impact. How do you get the employees from Google to be engaged in a training program in the summer for a week or two to train the adults who work in our schools, to train our teachers. You see, our teachers are the ones who are being held responsible each and every day for getting our, our young men ready for the quote-unquote real world. Most of our teachers have never stepped foot in a place like this. They've never been at a city bank. They, they've been teachers all their lives. So they kind of, they've lived within the four walls of the school. They don't even fully appreciate deeply enough what it is, what this world looks like that we're supposed to be preparing our young men for. What are the lessons that they could in fact learn by coming here, visiting, and, and, and having some lecturers from Google talk about what are the kinds of things that young people need to be doing to get prepared to even come and work in a place like this? Problem solving, cooperative learning, how you're working on issues that, that are very different than the way traditionally teachers are teaching in school because teachers are not getting that level of exposure. It's those kinds of things and many others that we have ideas about that we would love to sit and brainstorm and come up with a real Google pipeline with Eagle Academy that I think could really be a, uh, could be a beacon for lots of schools around the, around the country. And just to add to that, um, I know there's Grow with Google. I know that um, there's a uh, internships and there are apprenticeships. Um, there's a lot of things that really would be beneficial to Eagle Academy because, uh, I, and you just touched on the summer programs, but I think that that's a great opportunity because it's it, you kind of also feel as an adult that you're giving back to these kids as well, um, but they need some of that education. Back to the Baltimore, I mean, Baltimore has had a lot of challenges in a lot of ways, um, but I think part of it is it's very difficult. David certainly could um, 
speak on this, but in the educational system, it costs money to do a lot of the things like what Eagle has to do with Los Angeles and it's time and work and uh, manpower. So um, I, I think that it's part of, you know, the need and seeing where the opportunities are. And that's kind of a, a bit more complicated. Um, but I think as an individual, um, you know, there's an importance that it doesn't matter what your race, if you see that there's a child that might need some help, or if there's something you can do that's volunteering at a school, absolutely give them some of your time, even if it's an hour a week, um, if it's going to impact someone feeling that they, that child feeling like they have someone that they can speak to or that they can get some advice from or as a mentor, absolutely. And even if you're not sure where to go with that, there are enough organizations, boys and girls clubs, there's lots of places that you can actually join or support that's actually going to have an impact with some of these things. And we're doing, we have a, we have a system already in place. Um, that if we just had the buy-in from a place like Google, we could really build out on something really special. I'll give you one other idea as well. And this is not just unique to Eagle, but it could be a place where Google could really lean in and helping to develop it uh, that would have impact really for teachers across the city and, and really across the country. One of the challenges that we, we, we face is not always having uh, students having the best teachers that we can find. So what I mean by that, we may, we may have a great seventh grade math teacher in Brooklyn, but in Harlem, they may be struggling because the math teacher is not quite at that level. So therefore, the students are not going to get the benefit of what the students in Brooklyn are going to get because they just happen to have a, a you know, better teacher. Creating like a, 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 a platform where the teacher from Brooklyn gets to teach the, the boys in, 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 uh, in Harlem as well and across the entire network, right? Creating that kind of tech platform where the young men get to get, uh, get exposure to the best teachers across the entire network. That's a level of technology that we would need to develop. But again, it's just an idea of something that actually could be done and could be a model really for the city of how to do it. But again, it would just take a level of investment from uh, from a place like Google to say, we, yes, we'd be so. interested in doing something like that. Yeah, so we should definitely continue that dialogue. Yep. I have my commitment that we'll do that. Last question, because we'll, we're we're waning here in terms of uh, the audience. Go ahead, yeah. Uh, gentlemen, thank you so much for coming. Congratulations, of course, on the work, first and foremost. Thank you. And, and on the film and, and how you just uh, presented this story. My uh, first question is for David, as a former teacher and dean of students, I'm very interested and curious to know, because a, a lot of what you said was on uh, teacher expectations. So, how, and as a public school, how are you able to work with the teachers and they have a very strong union? And I remember seeing uh, my former principals and assistant principals try to navigate that battle and that fight. And I'm curious to see how you approach that. Yeah, you know, and that's a great question. Thank you. Um, the, the unions are not, um, we're not in battle with our unions, right? We're, in many ways, the union and the UFT at, at large is a tremendous supporter. All of our teachers are unionized. Right. And, um, and, and I think so many of the teachers who come to work at our school, they choose to come because they understand what this mission is really all about. 
Like we're about trying to move the needle and get these guys, young men of color, look just like you. We're trying to get them to the finish line. We're trying to graduate these guys. And and there's an energy that we have to bring in order to do that. Um, But at the end of the day, we we need you to still be effective teachers in the classroom to teach the content. the union has been a partner with us. Okay. You know, from time to time, you have a teacher who is not a good fit, who needs to move on, uh, even if you've given them the proper support and help and you realize it's not that they might not be a good teacher, they just might not be a good teacher working in this particular venue. Um, and we have a good relationship with the union to, to kind of help make that happen. So I've heard about a lot of the horror stories. I was a principal in New York City for 11 years. I experienced some of the horror stories as well. Um, but, but Eagle is a pretty unique place, and the culture is so strong. See, when the culture is strong, it, it weeds out the people that don't fit. Right. So it doesn't even have to be so much a battle with the principal and the union. The teachers themselves, you know, help other teachers to understand whether or not this is the best place for you, right? And so we spend a lot of time on building the culture of the place, and, and teachers are empowered where we are. And I think that's a big part of what we do. Great, great. And, and speaking of culture, this is a question for you both. What type of culture shift do you think needs to happen uh, in, in New York City and even in the country as a whole for stories like this to make the front page, which does, as you said, right, exposes, t- exposes people to causes and work that they can get involved with as opposed to just, as you said earlier, who's telling the story better of the issues, right? So what culture shift needs to happen for stories like this to be front page? A very good question. It's the mindset of, in my opinion, people of color. We have to tell our own stories. Mm. Um, you know, stop waiting for someone to show you something and show people, you know, exactly what you want to say. And, um, you know, um, I often tell this story um, that my mother used to say to me when I was a kid about the woman who had water in a pot and there was, uh, she, she was hungry. All she wanted was a meal. So what she did was she put the pot in the center of the town and everyone was wondering, what's she doing? She says, oh, I need some potatoes. Someone brought potatoes. Oh, I need some tomatoes. Someone brought tomatoes. Before you know it, she had a meal, right? But no one understood. Sometimes you just have to start with something and not expect everything at the beginning. Just keep going with the intention of telling your story. And the more that we do that, you will you will find... I'm actually working on another film that just came about three, four weeks ago. And and the reason for it was because the guy asked me for a little help. He asked me just to read the script. And I said, I want to get involved in this film, right? And so there's things like that that we have to do to support each other. And I don't think we do well enough with that. And we, we have a tendency sometimes to wait or hope that someone else does something. You know, and your blessing is you starting, right? When you actually begin, you'll see how the universe... You'll see how opportunities start coming your way. And you're, I can't believe this happened. This person just called me. I don't know how. Yeah, that's because you started, right? So that's what we have to do um, and and really help um, not pay attention to the negative stories, but pay attention to your story and then start telling that. And you'll be um, inspired and amazed how we're starting to change the dynamics of what's happening. And I think also at a macro level, at a very political level, The, the, you need leadership that will make sure that these stories get told. Right. 
So here in a place like New York City, I'm talking about from the mayor's level, from the governor, right, from the chancellor. All too often, they're playing defense, right? And so the stories get crafted for them, and they're responding. Um, I'll give you an example. This is a... Mayor de Blasio, for the time he's been in office, has been in battle with the charter school sector, right? And so that, that story got framed. There are schools like Eagle that are not even charter schools that are doing really innovative work. He never talks about it. So it looks like the only people that are doing innovative stuff are charter schools, and then you've got these bad traditional public schools. So the story has already been crafted, and he's just playing defense. If he understood fully what he even has within the system, he would have been telling, he would have been touting the story of Eagle Academy. He would have been touting the story of young women's leadership and new visions and urban assembly and college bound. These are all traditional public schools, but people don't hear about them because from the top, it's not being pushed and promoted. The only thing you see in the papers and you read and see on TV is the battle that's happening. And he hasn't even brought everything he was supposed to bring to the battle to tell the full story. That's what I mean when I say at the macro level, the political level, that narrative can be crafted, but you have to have the vision for what that's supposed to be. I will certainly commit to continuing the dialogue on how Google can help. So thank you both. Thank Wonderful. you, George. Thank you. great. Thank, thank you. you thank you, everybody. Thank you all. Thanks for listening. If you have any feedback about this or any other episode, we'd love to hear from you. You can visit g.co slash talks at Google slash podcast feedback to leave your comments. To discover more amazing content, you can always find us online at youtube.com slash talks at Google on our website, google.com slash talks, or via our Twitter handle at talks at Google. Talk soon.